to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. First of all, there's a lot of modern scholars, so since the Enlightenment, and then also uh, way back even in the 300s and 500s, there were some early guys who doubted that the book of Daniel could have been written in 600 B.C., And the reason they say that is there are so many detailed accounts and prophecies that uh, in 605 that Daniel was writing in uh, in 200 B.C., 400 years later, in 150, it was so detailed on some of the kings that fell and the way they fell and the nations, these powerful thrones and powerful governments that fell. They say it's so detailed. It had to be written in 150. There's no way a guy, Daniel, could really prophesy something so perfectly. Now, we don't believe that, right? We, we believe um, that there is a God who is able, and he's not just watching down the tunnel of time and can tell what's going to happen in the future. He's the one active. Sometimes he's actively making things happen. Sometimes he's passively allowing things to happen, okay? And so in that, uh, we believe that it's a supernatural book. All those people that are skeptics of that, they don't believe in supernatural stuff. So, so there would not be a God that would be able to do that. We believe that that's true. Uh, I could go into um, with the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a lot of things that they found that when they found them, uh, they were thinking, oh, this will prove against the Bible's um, authenticity and truthfulness. And actually, those scholars and those people that study those, those type books and stuff, there's no way that it could have been written 50 years beforehand. So some of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were from like 200 um, B.C., as they found them, they're going, oh, hold it. Our own uh, equation doesn't match up. This could not have been written and passed along and copied and copied and distributed and got to this place and having this many copies in only 50 years' time. This had to come from earlier. And so and it, and it, it defeats even their purpose, but they don't want to give up on that. The main reason is Jesus himself. Jesus says this um, in Matthew 24. Um, he told us that Daniel wrote the book, of, uh, the book of Daniel. He said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So Jesus is saying, Daniel, he was a prophet of God. And when you see this happening, and he's giving justification and authenticity to the book of Daniel. So we know that Daniel was the true author. Um, this is a little bit on the setting and the structure. The, the, the structure is uh, chapters 1 through 6 are on Daniel's life, God dealing with Israel. Um, then chapters 7 through 12, that's the, that, that's the major breakdown of the book. Chapter 7 through 12, I didn't do right. That's the 7 through 12 is supposed to be over here. Um, that's the visions and dreams of Daniel. So the first part is kind of a historical narrative. The second part goes into um, a different type of writing to where he's talking about visions and dreams. So that brings in symbolic language. That brings in um, different types of things that are figurative and symbolic. And so we'll see those. Um, But here's the setting. And this is why I think this is so fitting for us now. This time seems so out of control. If you were a person from Israel or Judah, um, there's these threatening world powers. They're attacking they're striking fear. These were the original, original terrorists. They would do things to adults, or they would take an adult male and take him off and take his wife and children and do things to them and, and do horrible things to them in front of them, 
And then the last thing they saw was that happening and gouge out their eyes over and over and over. And then what did their neighbors hear? Did you hear what happened? And then it would come and happen to them. And they would do all these things, all these things, and it was to strike fear in the people around, to say, if, you, if, they, if they come after you, you better not rebel. You better go along with them. So there was this fear. Um, it would be almost like North Korea, a country just coming, and you kind of got one of those leaders kind of off and kind of like kind of strikes fear in people. Not just, you know, we think of missiles coming and attacking us. What if it was this? You're sitting in your home, you hear a knock on the door, and guards come in, uh, military guys come in and take your children away and take them to North Korea and start indoctrinating them in their false worship, indoctrinating them in their patriotism for their country, indoctrinating them in their own education system, your future, the coming generations. That's what was happening here. Can you imagine that? And so not just like we're getting attacked and shot at, but literally our people taken off and other people just killed and destroyed. Um, they would capture the leaders, capture upcoming generations. So um, Daniel begs the question, what does your identity truly rest in? What's your identity? Is it I'm American? I'm Democrat? I'm Republican? I'm Christian American? What's your identity resting? Because for these people, all that got ripped away. There was only one thing left, and that's what God was trying to show them. Um, Complete personal and corporate injustices, so personal injustices that were happening. Corporately, there were injustices that were happening, things that were out of control, terrorism. The whole goal was to cease to exist. They wanted to wipe Israel off the map. And talking with Krebs uh, the other day on Friday, he said, when you talk to my Palestinian friends, they're friends, and they're okay that I'm American, but if I say anything about Israel, even very nice people go, don't talk of them. They should not be on the earth. They should cease to exist. To this day, that's people's view of the Jews. Political oppression. Foreign king does whatever he pleases. Uh, Not only their identity, but their rights. You ever have that fear? This is going to lead to our rights being taken away. That's a lot of what goes on in politics, right? Um, Their citizenship, family taken away and separated, forced into idolatry. Your kids taken off to another place and forced to bow down and to recite certain things. That was all going on. Shutting down worship in Israel and forced and introduced to false gods. So Daniel begs the question, how is my life of grace comparatively 2021 what kind of grace has god given us well well, but what about man look at the life of grace that god's given us it should prompt us to thanksgiving and worship and praise and sure we have to stand for those things and we have to we have to fight for those things but god is not one who is upholding our constitution right God has nothing tied into it. This isn't anti-American at all. Just know that God has let nation after nation after nation after nation after nation fall. We're 200 and something years old. Do you know how big the Romans were? Do you know how long it took to build the Colosseum and all those things? And now you can pay. I heard Matt Chandler saying, like, you can go for like 20 bucks and go see the ruins of this, this powerhouse that ruled the world for century after century after century. God is no respecter of nations. There's one true God. His message in Daniel is whatever is happening with those things, your rights being taken away, things that happen, governments fall apart, 
I'm still there with you. I care about you. I love you. Put your trust in me, not these other things. So where is God when all semblances of normalcy is being ripped from us? With all those devastating atrocities and oppressions and unrelinquishing fears, Daniel's world, Israel's plight was not a world that is out of control. Um, What we're going to see is the central message throughout is God is our only Redeemer and Savior. Our faithful covenant God is in control when all things seem out of control. God's redemptive plan is not thwarted by worldly powers or cultural upheaval, which we feel that. We feel that going on. These, oh, these, this party took place, uh, took control. This party took, oh, these people are doing these things legislatively. Oh, other countries, our culture, all those things. God is not out of control. He is not thwarted. His plan of redemption is not thwarted. God's redemptive future is pointing to and unfolding in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone on the planet should be embracing that and enjoying him in the middle of that, it should be us. We don't have to join in on all the little side conversations and things. We should be the ones saying, put our trust in him. Let's enjoy Christ. So Sojourn's mission statement, to exalt and enjoy Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Christ, in all things, in a pandemic, in an economy that's turning down, in the loss of a baby, in the loss of a miscarriage, in the loss of a loved one, and and parents aging and having their their health fail, and job loss, we exalt and enjoy Jesus Christ in all things. He is not unfaithful. He's screaming that in Daniel. That leads us to the reminder that we want to be people who study and learn God's Word. So again, in this idea of looking at um, these hermeneutical interpretational challenges as we go through a book like Daniel, the author's intent. So I want to hit quickly on these. You've got to always consider the author's intent. The author had an intended message to you. And so like I use this often, like if God was wanting to say, go through that door, go through that blue door, and he said it clearly, go through that blue door, but the crowd says, oh, you know what? I can just feel it. Can you feel that? I feel like the Lord's telling me, walk out that way. I feel like it's, let's stay here in this room. I feel like it's, let's go through the window. God wasn't speaking in symbolism. Go through that door, straight data. And so if, if the author wanted to communicate with truth, straightforward facts, but we interpret it symbolically, we've missed it. And at the same time, if you flip that, if he's writing or communicating in symbolic terms, it will, I had a vision and it was like this. Not exact details is not what God's wanting you to get out of it. Not trying to dissect what, how many horns there were. And what, oh, this ruler, I bet that country is that horn. I bet that country is that horn. And all those things. Um, so the author's intent, you have to look through the author's intent for the original audience, first of all. What was the context of that crowd? And then God's intended message for all audiences. And then from that, also that literary type and the device. If it was written in historical data and facts, it needs to be interpreted as a historical narrative. If it's written in apocalyptic language, then you have to be a little more careful and not try to force black and white boxes of details on it if it's symbolic. We don't know the, exactly the time. So there's a lot of things in Daniel that come true in the next three and 400 years. Then there's a pause, 400 years. And then Christ comes on the scene, and it was very clear. These things are coming through during Christ's lifetime. Then after Jesus died in 33 AD, there are some things that happened in Jerusalem and in that city that Daniel talked about in, in the first century, in 72 AD. 
And then there's some other things that have happened. So some people would probably all agree across the board, uh, Israel, the, the horrific thing that we know is the Holocaust. Six million Jews killed by a maniac. What did the Jews do after that? 1948. We are going back home. We are going to move back. Everyone move back. Everyone move back. And we are a nation state in 1948. And in fact, again, Krebs, I hate to keep referencing him, he's not that smart and beautiful. And so he said that when you talk to those people there, you know what their, what their military is? Two words. Never again. That's from Daniel's day. When they separate us and they destroy us, never again will this happen. And that's been going on for hundreds of years with the, those people. So this, this idea that um, them coming together, that was foretold in Scripture. That nation, the nation, the nation state of Israel would be gathered back because they were destroyed and separated as we're reading today. So think through those things. Um, one last thing is it's Christocentric, just meaning that all Scripture points to Christ. Um, so as we go through that book, the common dangers that in the past when people would teach through Daniel, it would be that as we look at Daniel, then the preacher would say, see what Daniel was doing? Daniel did this and this and this. Christian, you be like Daniel and do this. Yes, we want to be obedient, but it's more descriptive than prescriptive. If I just give you a list of rules to go obey and give you a bunch of morals to go obey, a bunch of lists to go obey, you're the one who's exalted in that, not our beautiful Savior. But if we say, look what God did there, and his fuller revelation is in Jesus Christ, and we point to, we could never live out that faithfulness. There is a greater, greater, more beautiful Daniel. There's a greater Shadrach. There's a greater uh, Abednego, and his name is Jesus. He's the one that fulfilled all those scriptures. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be careful not to go into teaching this as Daniel is the hero, but we want God to be the hero of the story. He is the main point of the story. And in the same way, another thing that we can get off a second error is making Daniel's prophecies a subject of heated debate over end-time stuff. We miss God as the treasure if we're more interested and passionate about guessing these secret little clues in Daniel or, or guessing which government or world power is going to be the Antichrist, especially if we become angry or upset when others disagree with us on it. Like, we've missed the point. Like, God's going, That's, that, that wasn't, I didn't want you to take it to Facebook. And you know you're wrong. You don't have any clue. That's symbolic. You don't even know what I'm doing. But we get we spend hours on that instead of sitting hours in humble worship of Jesus in His Word and prayer. Instead of like last week, the push for membership is as I have loved you, as, as the Father has loved the Son. Man, that's what I want you to do. How well are you doing at loving the people sitting right in the rows around you? I don't want to do that. Let's talk about the seven horns. So that's what God's sharing with us here. So um, as we dive into Daniel, um, let's read this, the, just the first two verses. In, in, in the, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar in the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So, Father, we come to you stunned, as the original crowd would have been, stunned and shocked, but yet 
we are also hopeful. We see your faithfulness. We see your sovereign glory as we sang those songs about your sovereignty. You are sovereign over all. And, and Daniel is a picture of that. We don't take it lightly what these people went through because in our lives we don't take it lightly. And we need the same God and Savior and Redeemer of Daniel to be our Savior and Redeemer in, in a world that seems out of control. So we thank you, God. We ask for the Holy Spirit to bring us um, understanding, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see the beauty of our triune God in the book of Daniel. Help us to see the good news, the grace of the gospel in the book of Daniel through the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. So in, in this, this first introduction, we see this idea of two kings that God brings up, Jehoiakim and then also Nebuchadnezzar. Now, um, we're going to speak a little bit more about Jehoiakim next week, but it's a play on words. So God, the Holy Spirit, was going, hey, Daniel, write this. Daniel's writing this. The people of Israel's context, original crowd, remember we're thinking through author's intent. Here's the crowd. Holy Spirit's going, let's talk about Jehoiakim. Let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar. All of that crowd knew what Nebu meant, Nebuchadnezzar. And so his name, even it's a play on words. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's name was actually like Nebuchadnezzar, which means, O God, Nebu, protect the firstborn son. O God, Nebu, protect the crown. So what does that mean? So a king, if they had girls and girls and girls, what do they do? They killed their wife and got a new wife because they needed what? An heir to the throne. Because why? What's the goal for kings? For your throne to keep on going, right? For your throne to be established and keep on going. So the word Nebuchadnezzar, his name even was saying, Oh God, Nebuchadnezzar, we trust in you. Would you supply and protect the firstborn son so this kingdom would go on? And God says, I'm okay with that. Put his name up there. Put his name up there. And, and Jehoiakim, both powerful leaders, both, both powerful men of authority, kings and rulers, rich. And right from the beginning, Nebu is, is mentioned here. So all the crowd understood this is a false god named, I mean, this is a, a, a ruler named after a false god. They completely understood that. And then it says um, that God allowed him. And so the word for the Lord there, so when you look in that verse and it says, um, and the Lord, notice it's L, capital L, and then small O-R-D. Okay, so usually in the Old Testament, if your Bible, it should say this, depending on the version, it should most of the time have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that word for that is that Hebrew word Yahweh. So in, 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 there was no vowels in it originally. It was like, it was just, uh, in theirs, they didn't have vowels in it. It was like, yo. They did this deep, my, the Hebrew professor could do it. Like, yo. In fact, Jewish people, Israelites, would not say the word Yahweh. They would not say that. It was a fearful. We talk about holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They had a fear that if we said, yo, that, that, that God may strike us dead because he is so holy and removed far from us. So in that, um, that, that word um, Lord there is Adonai. The word he uses is not Yahweh, not yo, but he uses Adonai, sovereign ruler. Yahweh was holy, set apart one, a name that you couldn't even say, and yet in the Old Testament, Daniel's led to use Adonai, sovereign ruler. The sovereign ruler, God, Adonai, he's the one who allowed that southern kingdom and King Jehoiakim to be taken down by Nebuchadnezzar. 
So Nebuchadnezzar, even, even that false god, he was known as the Mesopotamian matron god. He was known as the king of Babylon, the king of the universe. He was a false god. And so God is going, let's compare. And so in that area, not only is Israel taken away or Judah taken away, and now they're under Nebuchadnezzar and their kids are being taken off to worship him. And God's people, Israel, that original all, uh, audience, they knew this. It was clear identification with a false god. So why would an entire name be about one's firstborn son? Nebuchadnezzar, why would his whole name be about a firstborn son? Because the lineage. Oh God, Nebu, protect the firstborn son. What had God promised Israel after David and Solomon? What had they said? What had God said to um, Israel? I'm going to have one to come after David, and it's going to be an everlasting kingdom, just like we just sang. He's going to be on the throne of David forever. And here, four or five hundred years later, Israel's destroyed. Jerusalem's going down. Judah is, is destroyed. Their people taken off. Where is our God? I thought you said this. I thought you said that you're going to set up a king, one that would come. And so remember the Messiah that they were desiring? So when we get to Jesus' day, everyone's looking for the Messiah, the powerful world leader that's going to come up on the hills and kind of like those gladiator movies up on that, that, that desert rim. All of a sudden you see like 100,000 horsemen and conquerors. That's what they're looking for, Messiah, right? And so they were going, man, he's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to set up a king that's going to rule forever. His authority is going to come and set up that powerful militaristic kingdom. And yet, that's not what God's doing at all. Do we see what God wants his people Israel to know and trust? What, what God wants his people throughout history to understand about him? Even in these first two verses, what I'm suggesting to you is that God's very first words through his prophet Daniel was to speak to his people Israel as devastated and broken and weary and fearful as they were to let them know that their God had not failed. I have no problem letting you know about this powerful ruler and this powerful ruler. I want you to know they are nothing. They are pawns. My covenant faithfulness is going to go on to you, Israel. I know things look horrific. I know things around you look like the culture's falling apart. I am not going to leave you or forsake you. I've promised to keep covenant faithfulness with you. Remember the author's intent. Remember the original audience, what they were supposed to hear. These first two verses are shocking yet securing. If our God allowed this, so they read that going, God did this? It was Adonai who gave Israel into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Our God did this? If God did this, what do we know about our God? A remnant would say he's faithful. So there was only one true God, and he was the sovereign one in control. Do we have people in here who are weary? who are tired of this ongoing pandemic and the ripple effects, maybe their job, maybe their relatives, maybe the things they've gone through, tired of seeing every day more bad news and more bad news. I really believe people are just tired of tomorrow's bad news that they're going to hear. Whether it's more about the economy, whether it's more about the pandemic rising again, whether it's more about more deaths, whether it's more about schools shutting down, whether it's something affecting their own kids' lives, whether it's something affecting their finances, their security, their job loss, more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. It's what we're getting used to. It's a perfect time in the U.S. 
in this consumeristic church culture and a lost culture that's walked away from him to go, we've got good news in the middle of a time when it's only bad news you're hearing. We've got great news, and it's all in Christ. Do we have people who are weary and tired, feeling discouraged and disheartened? Um, in a seemingly growing hostility against Christianity, uh, we have a sovereign, true, ruling God who's in control. His word to us today, the good news, the gospel in Daniel points us to our loving God who not only uh, will still be in control, it's not just that he's in control with arms folded and back like a deist type view. He's in love with you. He's in love with his people. He is caring when it doesn't feel like he's caring. He's not removed. And I've had many, many circumstances and days and times when it feels like he is so far, and in the prayers that you don't even want to pray, when you do pray them, it feels like it's going to about seven feet tall. And sometimes the circumstances don't change. That is not truth. That's subjective feelings. And this book is screaming, don't go by your subjective feelings. Don't go by the situations you see with your eyes. Trust in this one true God. Love him and see what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God is in control even when all things seem out of control. He even goes as far as to do this. So you think of God not wanting to defame himself. He even goes into this part in, in that verse 2 there. That, and he takes some of the vessels out of the house of God. So remember in the Old Testament, I, I remember reading this and being confused. Like they would mess up. Like the people that would go behind those different tents, uh, behind those different drapes and stuff. That's why we have those up, by the way. And so they would go and do stuff. And if they like mishandled something, like they'd hear, boom, like, they just died. And they'd find out they were touching something wrong or they were handling the holy things wrong. Remember that? And you're like, man, I'm kind of glad that we live like, you know, I'd hate to be uh, living our day. Like I changed the radio station from, you know, Christian sometimes to like, you know, Dave Matthews band. I'm like, is, God, is that okay? And so like when we go from holy things and here, this is over 5,000 pieces. So in Ezra, we find out that it says this in Ezra, in all there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver that later on a future guy, Sheshbazar, brought all of these things along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Look at this faithful God. I'm bringing it all back. I'm bringing the people back, the exiles, back to Jerusalem. I'm bringing the, the, uh, the, the gold things, the articles God did this. 5,000 vessels taken away. And remember, those are things that were used in worship, and, and now they're going to be used. Nebuchadnezzar's take them into the, the temple of his God. That's satanic. Any false god is satanic of origin. And now those things are being used. What would that be like for us if they took elements from our churches and then took them into a Muslim mosque? We'd be so offended, Right? If they took elements that we think are you know, uh, precious to us, if they took our box of communion stuff and just threw it in a trash dumpster and set it on fire, we'd be like, that means so much to us. You don't understand. And God was even going, I'm letting that happen. Passively allowing this enemy to attack and do those things. I think it's important for us to consider, to take time to think through our thoughts of God. Do I have a God that I've kind of pieced together Is it an accurate picture of God from Scripture? Um, do you have a category for that type of God? Do you have a category for this part of God's nature? I'm terrified that many in the American church don't have a category for God. 
We can read country after country after nation after nation after nation right now. That is, there's some, some coup. There's groups coming in and destroying the capital, taking off their leaders, which we used to think huh, that would never happen here. And, and we, all those things going on. People, more refugees out of their countries right now at this time than any time in the history of the world. Many believers who are refugees, uh, people that were Muslims, that were Christians now, and because they're Christian, they got just taken out, and they had to flee. So more refugees on the run, living in displacement right now than any time. Many believers, and they could be saying, just like Judah, where's our God in this? Why am I here? And I'm sad sometimes or scared that we as American church think, not us. We have rights, not us. Don't you take away our, and I, I just want us to be reminded that we should be thankful for that. We should fight for those things. We want to believe in those things. And this isn't anti-American at all. It's saying, let's be careful and be humble and be just amazed at God's grace. But that we would also be aware that, man, right, why would we think that we're any better? What, are we smarter? Are we greater? Why is that okay that God is allowing that to happen to country after country? Millions upon millions, tens of millions of people's refugees. And man, my cupboard is full. My refrigerator is full. My paycheck's coming in. My kids are safe. What? Am I better than them? No. I'm thankful for God's grace. Let us be amazed at God's grace, but let us not be fooled into thinking that we're better because we're whatever category. Do you have a category for God and his nature that, that says there could be some really horrific things that happen to you personally? This last week, um, there was a kid in one of Jamie's classes here, great family, and, and actually uh, the previous weekend, she said, hey, this, this mom asked, could Jackson go over? Her and the little boy are really good and be good friends, and he, they wanted to have Jackson over. They have a blast together and all this stuff, and so that was Saturday, and we couldn't do it because he already had plans. And on Monday, um, a little kid had just you know, kind of written this thing about like what's going on and things, and then the next thing that happens on Tuesday, the dad's dead. He's 10 years old. There's some of you who've probably experienced that. Is that a good God? You don't want a view of God that he's always just the late ambulance driver. That just, you know, like, oh, my mom, if, if God would have just got there, she wouldn't have died if, if something else would have happened. Or something happens with a tragic situation with a child. Or, or horrific things that happen. And we don't want to look at God as this late ambulance driver. That if God, if you wanted, if you'd have been there just two minutes earlier, it could have been so different. That is not a sovereign God. That's a small little responder God. I want a God that even if I'm frustrated, I can't understand that, even if I don't understand what's happening, I feel everything's out of control, I want this huge, glorious God that I can go, I know that you see what's going on. I can still pray to you, but you are worthy of glory. You are a good, good Father, and you are glorious, and you are sovereign, and you know what you're doing. This was the wisest thing. If there was something wiser, you would have done it in this way. That's the kind of God the Bible spells out, and sometimes I don't like that. I just have to confess to God and repent. I, I don't like this. And, and ask him to soften my heart. Will you soften my heart and change my perspective? I think that's significant for us to think through. God wants everyone to know from the very start, this was me. You know Jehoiakim? You know Nebuchadnezzar? Hey, guess what? All of this working from this point on in the book, it's me. I did this. I did this. This was me. 
God actually believes that he is the one worthy of all praise and honor. It's like a little kid, if you've seen infants when you, the year one and year two and year three, and you, at Christmas or their birthday, and you spent all this money and time going to get this thing, and there's this little colorful thing that makes noise, and, 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 but then what, what does the infant play with? Loves that box. Loves that wrapping paper and the bow, and they, they take the little thing out, and they're wobbly, and they, they kind of just sit that down because it caught their attention, but they see that box. And now and they, everyone kind of jokes. If you've had little ones, you say, next year we're just getting them three boxes just to play with. They play with a box for three weeks that the little toy sat aside. If we're not careful, that's how we treat life. That's how we treat other things. So God is saying, I, I'm, I'm the precious thing in the middle of it. All this other stuff is just wrapping. It's just, it's just the, the worthless box. I, I'm the, the present. I'm the treasure in the middle. Don't get distracted and put me to the side and focus on this other external stuff. I'm, I'm trustworthy. I've proved that. I come and pursued you when you wouldn't have even turned to me. I come and pursued you when you were in the middle of filth and sin and a ridiculous life. Whether that was really good living and morals, you couldn't have saved yourself. Or whether that was debauchery and horrible living, you couldn't have saved yourself. It was all me. Where have I failed you? Where have I let you down? And that's what he's screaming to Israel here. And he's worthy of praise for that. God is the immeasurable reward. So do you see why a loving God would want his people to hear that message? So Daniel is a story about God, about how God works. God's unhuman love and grace and power. It's not even humanly. It's supernatural from the triune God. It's a Trinitarian type of love. And that's what's crazy when Jesus prays that in John 17. It would be heresy if it wasn't actually Jesus saying that. The way that we are one, Father, let them be one. That's crazy. We can't be one like that. Holy Spirit says, yes, I can. I can empower you to that kind of love and care for one another. So 2021 with our day, with all that is unknown, with all that seems shifting, with all that may feel like it's out of control around you, do you see what our loving God would want us to hear through this ongoing message? But the crucial thing is, who are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? Is it Twitter? Is it rants? Is it Facebook? Is it um, all the blogs, the podcasts? I don't even know if they still have like people at a desk that at 10 o'clock that you can turn a channel. I don't know if those people still exist. But there's news stations, all those things. Who, who, what voices are you listening to? Don't get caught up in all of that. Secure your mind and heart on God's covenant faithfulness. God's message to us in the first two lines in Daniel is God is in control of all things, even though things may seem like they're out of control. So be encouraged in Christ. What we're looking at, where we're sitting, whether that's in Jordan, in Mongolia, in Tulsa, there's nothing new. It's not new. We're not going through something new that God hasn't dealt with. It's not even as near as bad as those days that they were living in. All those New Testament letters, Galatia, uh, Philippi, um, all the uh, uh, Colossians, um, Colossae, um, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Corinth, they had all kinds of debauchery dens and temples that you would, in the name of serving a God, would go in and do all kinds of despisable things in those temples all over the city. They haven't moved in yet, right? I mean, there's different things here, but it wasn't, it was, it's not set up now where you have to do that or that you're doing it as a form of worship. 
That was all around, and God said, I'm going to take the gospel of light into that kind of city. Things aren't as bad as some of those New Testament churches, or the New Testament cities where, where, where the New Testament churches were founded. So the challenge is not new. We have the same God. God is sovereign over all things. He is faithful in coming back soon. So in seeing that just in the first couple chapters, that requires a response. I don't know what each one of you is struggling with, whether that's fears, whether that's doubts, whether that's personal things that's going on with your life, your health, your um, job. Maybe you're so concerned about the things that are out there, the culture just seems to be collapsing. I want to give you some time as we go into the time of the Lord's Supper to consider, man, where's my heart with Jesus Christ? Do I see him as glorious and joyful? Do I see this God like this? Or am I so caught up in so, oh, so many things? Everyone is so polarized. Everyone's so tense right now that it seems like just, just we're, we're tense and frustrated with so many little things. And God's going, where's the love? Like I pressed last week. This is the kind of love that we should have for one another. Is that what's going on? So as we go into the Lord's Supper time, I, I call you to that. I ask for you to respond to that. If you guys want to um, get ready to partake, um, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pray. We practice open communion, which means that if you're a believer and you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're in good standing, you're not in church discipline from some other church running from them or something, that, that you can partake of the Lord's Supper with us. We always want to fence the table. So we've got the table spread out because of COVID. We used to do it differently. We do the bread and the, the cup together. Uh, but now we've got these little dispensaries. And so in that, um, as, as we do that, we want to fence or guard that table and not take it lightly. So if there's pattern sin going on in your life, or if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, there's patterns. I would say do not partake of it and, and, and pause and just wait and sit there. And maybe for the first time, Ask for the Lord's mercy. Cry out to Jesus for salvation. Cry out to the Lord for salvation. Going, I see the, the blood and the body broken. The blood spilt out. Jesus, would you save me? Would you do that? Or if you're a, if you're a believer and you've just been in pattern sin, it's a great time to just pause and look at that. That's why we do it, we do it in remembrance of that. I shouldn't be taking this lightly. I, I pause, and I'm not even going to partake this time because I, I want to repent now. I want to use this time to repent. If, if you've had a rough week in sin, you may go, I'm going to partake because that is renewing me. That's the reminder that I need. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I'm encouraged to partake of this. I'm ready to partake of this, even though I had a horrible week. And so um, if you're going, man, I think it was a pretty wonderful week, I rejoice in you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pray, and then we'll, I'll let you go get the elements.